No, no, I'm gonna let you do yeah, it. That's we're gonna take them up every time. No, it's because I do them in a in a way that Aaron doesn't like. We're very well, conflicting styles. Well, and like I said before, and if you read what I sent to my uh, Alex, just make it professional. So I'm gonna allow you to do the ad read right now. If I don't like it, I'll just edit it out anyways. So Patricia, <laughs> just give us a just give us a minute. Let Michael do his ad reads, and then we're gonna get started with the podcast. Okay. And we're, right. We'll see if we can work some in as, as we go as well. So our first sponsor, I'm wearing their t-shirt right now. No, no, no. You got to do, uh, uh, it's Alex. I will, what's that? Alex is first. We have to make sure Alex is first. Oh, we have to make sure Alex is first. We'll get to Alex. He'll, he'll get his, we're going to get his stuff in. Don't worry. Why are you worrying? Aaron, you're worrying. You're, you're going bald. I'm already, I'm already worrying. On <laughs> <laughs> My finger's on the button. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go through as many of these as we can right now. First things first. One of our first sponsors this evening is Project X-Guard and also uh, Raul Chavez, who is one of the alumni of the Choking Hazard podcast. He runs Project X-Guard, which is a not-for-profit working with at-risk youth in, in the community, not just in the Toronto community, but he's also branching out. So if you're a gym owner or somebody who um, wants to spread the love and good vibes of jiu-jitsu to help out some somebody who may be in need. Uh, you can contact Raul Chavez on Instagram at Project XGuard, or you can also find him on Facebook at Raul Chavez. That's Project XGuard. Number two, we are one of our brand new sponsors. Patricia, you're out in, uh, in the Hamilton region, right? Yeah. We'll talk about the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of Hamilton. But this is one of the best things about Hamilton, or actually just outside Hamilton. Spirit Leaf Water Down. It is a brand new, opened up cannabis store just outside the greater Hamilton area. It is uh, located on Hamilton Street, uh, owned by one of our good friends. Shout out to uh, Alex Tang, uh, dental legend and future uh, jiu-jitsu legend as well. He, uh, he's opening up a new uh, store out in that region there. So I want everybody to check that out. Uh, is Spirit Leaf Water Down, located at, in, in, located in, Six, 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 six 64, Hamilton, 64 Hamilton Street, right beside the symposium. Right in beside these, right in Water Down. That's probably closer to you than it is to me. Where are you located in Hamilton? Uh, West Mountain. West Mountain? Oh, so you're oh, it's on only, the... It's only, it's only like 15 minutes, I think, from you. Mm, probably 20 or 25 to get to like down, water down proper. Hey. Depend, but, depending on the time of day. Rush hour, closer to an hour. Middle of the night, closer to 15, 20. Well, well Hamilton's going into lockdown anyway, so traffic will be no, slower. No, we're only red zone. We're only red zone. And I know JJ was red, on here earlier, right before we went into the red zone. And by well, the time you guys had if it you're out, located it was, like, near, If you're located wide. near Patricia's 15-minute drive <laughs> and you're looking for some 420 at 11, at 10.59 before they close, <laughs> Spirit Leaf water down. That's how you do an ad read, Aaron. None of your, your professional... It was beautiful. Nonsense. And uh, Aaron, are you working on your, I believe you're working on another, uh, another one. Can we announce that one yet? I'm working, I'm working. No, I can't announce that one yet. So we're going to leave that out for now. We're going to leave that one. We're going to slip that one away. Yeah, for now. But don't worry. We'll, we'll go back and we'll add the other uh, sponsors in later. All right. Are we also sponsored by Under Armour? No. Uh, why are you wearing your shirt then? 
because it's cold in my basement. So that's why we're wearing it. And again, you should be talking good about products that we like, though that way people say, hey, they do good ad reads. They are sponsoring our products, even though they're not being paid for it. Aaron, Maybe. let's be honest. Let's Rock is that. not listening to this podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Talk that. as much shit about Under Armour as possible. I think I know like, that. He would make a terrible influencer. Never <laughs> try to be an Instagram influencer. I'm gonna be in charge of Instagram. If I was a female influencer, I would have like it would be, it'd be like one post, nineteen thousand followers, <laughs> and just have like sixteen links. And meanwhile, we're we're grinding here. How many how many followers do we have currently, Aaron? I think we're up to almost four hundred. Hey, yeah, but that, like, that was that's, work. That's, that was hard that, work. That's on the one stream. I mean, like we have a you know, like there's at least twenty more somewhere. <laughs> It's 20 more. We're growing. <laughs> you got like 10 on your Facebook and like 10 on your Instagram. So yeah, see? We're, we're growing just like the weed <laughs> at Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at Aaron. 64 Hamilton Street, Waterdown. Thank you. We're gonna we're gonna well hammer that one into the ground as much as possible during this podcast. All right, so let's kick this off. So right. we have a local legend i guess you could say in the i would say not just the jiu-jitsu community the female jiu-jitsu community um patricia introduce yourself how long you've been training jiu-jitsu for why should we know you why are you such a big deal <laughs> oh why am i such a big deal i don't think i am i think i just um i'm yeah um i'm patricia <laughs> i've been training for I think 12 years now um I just had some like Facebook memories pop up from like competing at Joslin's 12 years ago so Ooh, I guess I've been training for 12 years that's ancient so, <laughs> yeah it's, um yeah but that I, I hadn't actually started training Brazilian jiu-jitsu yet when I entered that tournament I started actually training afterwards so um 12 years ish um I also uh had a little stint in amateur MMA, but it was in the States. So it was basically pro MMA without getting paid. Um, you, and you had a, I, hold on, hold on. You had a, a stint in MMA. I don't even think I knew this. Well, you didn't know that. This is down. This is, this is breaking what? news right here. Breaking news. <laughs> Cause there's another person on this podcast who has a stint in MMA. That's Aaron Gall right over there. Oh, see, I didn't know that. You, you so that was my one amateur fight. <laughs> I had three amateur fights, two in Indiana and one in Vegas. The one in yeah. Vegas didn't go so well. Um, I got TKO'd by a body shot. It was terrible. But um, the two in Vegas or in Indiana, I won by submission pretty handily. So Back what made day, you kind of get, what kind of made you get into MMA first? Was it just kind of like, you were like, okay, I'm going to start doing this and you jumped in the circuit or? Um, so I, my martial arts started with judo when I was like 12. I did that for a really long time. And then I got sick of the politics and the bullshit in that world. And I like wanted to branch out and I, um, was like, Oh, MMA looks fun. It is. (laughs) All traits of UFC. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, so I found a, I found a gym. I went to Buckley Jitsu in Oakville which just closed, which is balls. But um, I trained with them for like a f- quite a few years. Uh, I did the boxing program, the Muay Thai program, uh, traditional jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's where I started my Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And then um, had a couple fights. And then I realized it was really like, try to take that to the next level or actually have a real job because it's not really sustainable as a career um, back then when you were a woman, one. And 
to like as a Canadian um so I just was like well I guess this is as far as this is going because I just kept having fights fall through and it was just like a lot of training and nonsense and then it was just like never anything coming out of it so then I was, was like that, I was, guess I'll just do jujitsu. was that kind of the issue though was it just like the the female MMA talent pool wasn't very big and it was difficult to find fights or is it just like was there something yeah. else that was kind of the issue um it was like it was mostly just fighting fights and it just got to a point where like I had to really choose like am I gonna just like go like move to the states or something and like train at a camp that people have heard of so people actually take fights or and I had like I had like four fights lined up that just kept falling through kept falling through kept falling through so it's just like you know there's no money in this why am I busting my ass and then Rhonda came around like two years later and was like oh MMA is okay we are allowed to fight and everything was hunky-dory after that but then it was too late and I'm too old yeah yeah, I was going to ask, was like, when did, was it like when Gina or Rhonda started to come on the scene and then really start before. pumping up MMA? It was just before then, right? So Pioneer, yeah, I can... pioneer in, in women's MMA. Yeah. Like... So way back then, like I helped put together a card for um, Hook and Shoe, which is the organization I fought for twice, um, that had like uh, Nina Ansaroff on it, Barb Honchak. You know, like legend OGs of women's MMA, like not quite OG like uh, Roxanne Modifari, but I met her through mm-hmm. MMA and stuff. Um, Hook and Shoot was a pretty like OG <laughs> like fight, like so fight many OG well. spots. It's like it's a like king of the cage and like yeah, yeah. all those like throwback like mid two thousands like yeah. underground like underground yeah. fight club cage fights where like you know you're going into a basement like in skynet's oh like my tracking God, yeah. you and- <laughs> the coliseum well what they called the coliseum was this like super ghetto building and the fight warm-up areas were like in the basement and you had to go down these rickety stairs it was awesome some of the like craziest <laughs> funnest moments so- of my life but it was so crazy aaron um so aaron's officially want to know an amateur mma i'm, nice. I'm hyping him up congratulations here. He's officially want to know uh, his one amateur fight was in the lifetime pool. Would you like to share that with Patricia this evening? Well, okay. And this is the last time I'm telling the story on the podcast. So <laughs> no, it's not. Cause I love it. <laughs> okay. So it wasn't in the pool. It was, we, we have a pool, big pool deck at the, the club that we work at. And basically what they did was they cleared out all the seats and all that kind of jazz. And they just made it. They literally put a ring right on the pool deck right beside the pool and they had it on three sides so three threads of the crowd there's about 130 150 people there or whatever because they had to like be concerned with like liquor license and whatever and it was unsanctioned because we didn't get <laughs> sanctioning from the ontario boxing association it was highly right? illegal <laughs> yeah so, in, a, in a large in a large big box gym we're gonna we're gonna hold an illegal fight that's card. <laughs> oh yeah so well, amateur MMA like, is hasn't actually been legal in Ontario like ever. It's always you know, been very gray. So yeah, you know, so like you weren't doing anything of, wronger than anyone else. No, and, and exactly <laughs> that, that's that's the thing. Everybody was doing it, and so the guys that I work with at the time, they were like, they organized it, and they're like, okay, Aaron, we want you to fight this one guy, um, and he's like, he weighed like two hundred five, and I was like one seventy or at the time. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, it's all good. But again we're all co-workers so we're all like 
we all work together and all that. So the idea is wait, everyone who was fighting was a coworker. Basically, right? So oh, everybody was so they had an underground fight club in the in the bottom of a pool <laughs> in the summer. And so, so and like the the awesome thing about it was the the first fight of the night was. The two girls going they have they're having a boxing match and it's not not an mma fight but they're having a boxing two match. women you mean two, two women, women yes so two women yes you're thank you for correcting me i apologize right but um so these two women were going and they did not like each other so they worked together but they hated each other so they walk out whole deal fight starts about 45 seconds in one of the ladies left hook right to the jaw stumbles the other opponent like and we're like oh shit this whole thing's gonna end and somebody's going to the hospital tonight like this is the I first night in an unsanctioned fight <laughs> unsanctioned fight the whole deal so the rest you at least had like medics or something there and all that kind of stuff like we had okay, okay like, that's good that's, we that's had better than some tournaments that we've right? been to <laughs> and, and it, 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 so you had precautions in place right but like we weren't expecting it to turn into like something like this heated. And it was like that first initial, like, Oh shit, they're really going at it. Right. Cause you, you know how you talk like, Hey, everybody works together. It's a good fight. But again, there's no money involved. It's just pride at this time. Right. <laughs> the most important bro- thing is pride. <laughs> they just start beating the shit out of each other. And it was really cool. And so that we had like a five fight card night. I was a co-main event. And then basically it was like me and this guy, it was like the first leg kick he laid on me. I was like, it had a switch snap. I was like, that's it. Shit's on. <laughs> Aaron's Irish temper set off and he's like, that's it. This guy's dead. He hit yeah. me. And again, it was just, it was perfect. Cause I was like, I was working my stand up, and then I would work my ground. I, I would just beat him up on the floor and just make him tired. And then I finished it in the third round. Because I was like, okay, I'm done with this. So I had fun (laughs) with it. It was like, it was one of those things I always wanted to do. And then now that I had done it, I'm like, I'm done with this. I don't need to ever do this again. (laughs) (laughs) You did it once. You're good. I'm good. Retired undefeated. Retired undefeated. Yeah. Got to go out on top. Undefeated. Want to (laughs) know. There you go. I went out on a loss. But you know what? Like you said, like there's, hey, you know what? I, you, yeah, you went out on a loss, but like my whole thing was like, I did what I wanted to do. I was done with it where you kind of had aspirations to continue it, but there just was no more roadway for you yeah, to get was... more success out of it. Right. There's no opportunities yeah. there really at that time. There was none. I mean, if you, if it was 2020, it would be a different story. 2021, different story. Yeah. But unfortunately Ooh. at the time, the, the scene hasn't, uh, it didn't develop into into like what you were looking for um how because yeah, I, I was too early you're too early i want to ask too you like early, even like early <laughs> early so what a because like you you've been you know you've been training you've been competing for a long time and you, you've seen like kind of the, the the female divisions develop more and more over time so i want to ask you what are some things because you kind of come up like similar like through the ranks with me and myself and i've seen a lot of this as well like, what do you think needs to be done to, you know, maybe get more females into the sport or, you know, training more, or getting more comfortable at academies or I saw a big, a big deep breaths there. You're like, 
<laughs> but like, what are what are some loaded question? Yeah, it is. But like, what are what are yeah. what are some thoughts? I mean, it's if you just look at like the like the statistics of the sport at any gym and like participant numbers and stuff, the average number of female participants in jiu-jitsu is like 10% of the total population. So we can never expect the women's divisions to be as big as the men's. But then if you look at tournament numbers, I can almost guarantee at most tournaments, the number of women versus the number of men is actually more than 10%. It's certainly not 50, but I, I would safely say that it's definitely more than 10. So I don't think it's an issue of getting women into the competitions. It's, a, it's an issue of getting more women in the sport in general. And that's a hard sell as um, for a lot of women because it is, it's not a traditional sport by any means. And it's, it's one that takes you out of your comfort zone, like the instant you step on the mats, it's, it's a very like close contact sport. It's not easy. You have to like touch a lot of people. So like it's. Yeah. Germs. It sounds well, yeah. You COVID for sure. But yeah. like, it sounds a bit silly, but you have to realize like a lot of women come from a place that's, um, not comfortable with close contact with anyone let alone like dudes that are bigger than them or that can like obviously like do whatever they want if they chose like if you're 115 pound women like being in a position to like have uh have a guy in that close contact with you it can be something that's difficult to get over and if you're just watching from the outside you're just like why the fuck would you want to do that but as soon as you get on the mats it's like oh that's pretty fun let's go (laughs) so it's just there's got to be ways to like sell it and a lot of clubs go in like a like they started out as like a self-defense thing which is awesome because jujitsu is awesome for self-defense i will never argue otherwise even sports jujitsu in its sportiest sense is still amazing for self-defense because you still have that like way higher control of your body and like understanding of body mechanics and even if you are training purely for sports jiu-jitsu you're gonna be able to like handle situations a lot better than someone who's just like doing cardio kickboxing or something Mm -hmm. so so let me ask you this so like if you were gonna start your own class right now right you have your own club your ready to roll obviously in a non-covid world (laughs) what be your what would be your sell point like how would you get a women's team going like I, I'm always curious to see how other athletes might kind of phrase that question because obviously other people mm-hmm. have different aspects of how they would look at it how like if you're going to start something now how would you do it um it also sort of like making connections in the community so you gotta like reach out to different um maybe like organizations that women hang out at that of people that might be interested and like um, advertise in places that um, more women would be at. Um, and it will sound super sexist if I start listing those things. So I'm just going to let you guys use your imagination. Putting up like flyers at a nail salon. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It Learn sounds... how to kill a man. Clink. <laughs> exactly. Up. It sounds sexist, but like, honestly, you have to find your audience, right? So you have mm-hmm. to 
be able to do that. And then you have to make it something that is interesting to them. So a lot of women are interested in self-defense, but not all of them are. So you can throw the self-defense aspect, but also the fun, the social aspects, um, the fitness aspects, um, and the empowerment aspects of like mm -hmm. learning how much your body can do, um, stuff like that. I, I think you said a key thing was that empowerment, right? So being oh, yeah, able to huge. do things that you you didn't think you were able to do. So what was the hook for you? What really kind of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So my story is weird and not one that most women would ever follow because I started judo when I was 12. Um, my parents put me in it because it was cheap and we could afford it. And I loved it. So I stuck with it. And then like I said earlier, like just judo became too much politics, too much drama. It became a point of like, I have to either like go all in with that and try to pursue the Olympics or move on with my life. And I kind of moved on with my life because politics and injuries and the whole shebang. Um, so I needed something to still do to be competitive because I'm super, super competitive person just in my whole life. So I couldn't just like do nothing. So I kind of just like, ended up in MMA and then I ended up in jiu-jitsu when that kind of fizzled out because there was competition and stuff I could still do in jiu-jitsu. So let and me get I, this straight. There's politics in judo and you oh, left so it bad. for more politics in jiu-jitsu? Oh my god, you have... Okay, so like it might seem like jiu-jitsu has a lot of politics, <laughs> but wait until it actually gets in the Olympic and there's government money getting thrown around and then you will yeah. see the politics in full swing. So what were the, like, the primary, sorry, I don't, I don't want to cut you off. I know Aaron gives me no, no. gripe about that 64 times an episode, but um, important question. So like what got you like kind of turned off? Like what were some of the politics that like maybe that you experienced in judo that you're just like, you know what? Like, I don't need this. I'm going to go do something else. Well, it's all kind of like super old now. So I don't want to like rat on it too much, but there was just like opportunities that were, I was passed up for that I, that I'd earned that um they came up with bullshit ways to like take away from me um I didn't get funding for certain events that I was like based on the documentation that I was supposed to get and it all came down to like I didn't train with the people that were the head coaches of the province and shit like that I was not okay. a poster child for the people that they wanted I trained at a small club. I didn't train with the heads of Judo Ontario. So they found ways yeah. to not send me to places. No, I, I can see that 100%, especially when it, you look at like a, a national sport that's in the Olympics. They're trying to bend as many athletes as possible or just the best ones with at clubs that their head coaches are and all that guys. So when you when you look at like a sport like jiu-jitsu that's trying to get into the Olympics, even just like an even like more national standpoint in Canada, how do you see that going? Do you think it's like something possible or do you think it's just a shitstorm waiting to don't happen? Go, don't go in there. <laughs> don't go in there. So um, uh, that's a loaded question too. You guys got all the loaded questions today. Oh yeah. We're, um, we're, 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 we're loading all the questions. Up. We're loading them all up. I think, yeah, it's, it's tricky right because the way jiu-jitsu is it's all about your team and your lineage and everything and for something to be an olympic sport it's all about your country and we see this a little bit like um 
when everyone goes down to like world masters, we kind of like throw the teams a little bit away and we all hang out. Everyone who's from Ontario like hangs out and we root for each other. Um, so we see that kind of like national like pride and teamness a little bit there. But then um, like the last couple of years, Canada has sent team to the JJIF world, which is the organization that's going to take the Olympic jujitsu to the Olympics. If anyone does, those guys are the ones who are going to do it. They've got funding they've got the infrastructure they have everything in place it's just like a matter of like crossing the t's dotting the i's getting like everything like sorted all the way down the chain and that's the organization that the like uh the oja and the cja are like like the the structure and that's what allowed us to get jujitsu back is affiliating with those guys so that's the way it's going to go if jiu-jitsu gets to the Olympics. And let me tell you, those guys put on an amazing event. It's so professional and it's so like, it's reminiscent of like back in the day when I was doing judo tournaments and how everything was managed. There's like athlete villages. They have like, so when you go, like I went to Sweden with the team as a referee and we all stayed at the athlete hotel and we were served breakfast and dinner at the hotel and lunch was at the venue every day. And there was transportation everywhere for all the athletes. And it was amazing. Like the production was like superb. The organization organization was superb. And it was very, everything was very high level. Um, and the number of countries participating was unlike anything in any other tournament you've ever been to. Maybe the numbers themselves weren't as high, but the coverage across the planet is incomparable to anything else. How would you compare the JJJF worlds to like, I don't know, the IBJJF worlds, the Abu Dhabi Pro, Pro Trials, all, all those other like events? Because I know we, we, me and you, we've competed at a lot of these things. Like how would that yes. experience compare to the, the other major tournaments that are out there right now? Um. So everything is just a little bit more like um, official. Everything's like a little less like, um, I don't know. I don't really know how to describe the difference. It's just everything at a JJIF world is more like the Olympics as far as the organization and everything about it than any other tournament by a landslide. Yes like IBJJF Worlds in the Abu Dhabi Pro and those events, they have thousands and thousands of competitors. But the JJIF does stuff like, it doesn't matter what belt you are. There is only one world champion in the organization. There isn't a white belt world champion. There isn't a blue belt world champion, which I think is perfect. Coming from a sport that only ever had that, like judo, like there is no blue belt Olympic judo mm -hmm. anything. Like there's only one number one person and it's the person who shows up and wins gold at the Olympics or the world. Yeah. There is not this belt division. Right. And I think that that in itself makes that tournament the most legitimate um, in its own way. Obviously a lot of the top competitors don't go there because they don't recognize it yet. But I think that the fact that it's open belt is it makes it better and i'm saying that as a purple belt masters world champion i think all anything that has a world champion label on it should be open belt because i'm i'm not a world champion i may have won a tournament that has worlds in the name 
but it, I'm not a world champion. I'm not delusional. So you're, you're, no offense, you fall under the category. Sorry, you fall under the category of like, it doesn't count unless you're a black belt world champion. I think, yeah, you are very good. You have earned a great achievement, but unless you're fighting everyone, you are not a world champion. And a lot of people are going to yeah. hate me for saying that, but it is what I mean, it is. You know I've what, got though, one of those medals too, and I don't. I say I, I got gold at Masters Worlds at Purple Belt, but I don't say that you're um, a world champion. A world champion. I think it's so like I'm your not. judo uh, judo talking, where it's like, oh, I won this tournament at Blue Belts, and they call it like a world championship, but like the real world championships in judo is either the world championships or the Olympics. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and because think- jujitsu has always been this way, everyone has pretty much everyone has that mindset that, oh, yeah, of course, you're purple belt world champion. And there's nothing wrong with being that. It's an amazing achievement. I will never take anything away from that achievement. But it's not the same. Yeah. So, like, it's more you kind of like putting, again, like you said, it's like the Olympics. You've gone through this trials of, of, competitors but now you've been selected as a group of individuals the best of the best of the best is now here and their guys are competing for that world championship that's kind of where it should be rather than kind of like a tournament throughout the day where there's all these split divisions of white belt blue belt purple brown and then you have your blacks and then it could be the open weight from all the black belts and all that kind of stuff and it's not that again all those individual gold medals are really great achievements but they're not that pinnacle they're amazing That's achievements what... yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Okay. exactly so like when i'm you... never gonna say like your blue belt gold medal at worlds is worthless that's a huge achievement and there's tons of blue belt gold medal world athletes that would kick the shit out of me hands mm-hmm. down most of them probably would Let's be honest. There's a lot of kids, pans, world champions that would probably kick the shit out of me. So (laughs) the kids that are coming up now are terrifying. They scare the shit out of me. They're like 16 and they've been doing jujitsu since they were four. They should be black belts, but the blue belts because they're 16. Mm -hmm. So, so let me ask you this. So obviously like coming as again, like you've been a referee for how many years now? A jiu-jitsu referee? Yeah, jiu-jitsu referee. Forever. <laughs> for evs. Um, Forever. Forever. Probably eight or nine years now. Okay. I'm trying to do the math. So, like, I started refing just after I, like, halfway through my blue belt. So, uh, five years at brown, two at purple, two and a bit at blue. So, that many? There. Forever. Okay. So, like, <laughs> you, a while. You, it's been a, it's been a while. <laughs> So you've seen this transition of like all these kids that were again called like 10 years old and they've been doing tournaments and now they're like 18 right and so you have transition and then you see the differences now like what would you say like the level is now compared to like what it was when you first started like eight years ago like what was winning tournaments back in the day even at the higher belt levels now would it just the, the technique and the nature of jiu-jitsu has changed so much. Um, and people are more serious about the sport now because like back in the day, people competed and um, were amazing athletes and excellent jiu-jitsu practitioners, but the, the nature of the sport has changed a lot. Um, it's a, I've, 
at least from my perspective, it's a lot more dynamic than it used to be. Um, there's a lot more happening in the matches, at least like it's, it's certainly harder to ref now than it ever was back, back in the day. I think Mike can probably agree with me there as a fellow mm-hmm. referee. Um, people are just doing crazier and crazier and weirder stuff um, that they've had to make all these new rules to deal with all the crazy stuff that people are doing now. So it's, it's a very different sport than it was even eight to 10 years ago. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, but a blue belt now would beat up like all the black belt world champions for 20 years ago. And I don't necessarily think that's true. I think that it would be, a, it would be an interesting fight because if the old school black belts could implement their game plan, they would still be able to shut down a lot of the fancy new jujitsu that happens, right? But if they get caught off guard or whatever and the new jujitsu like gets that one step ahead, they would probably get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. basically whoever gets their like game plan first is going to be the one that still can take that talking about like rules and rule sets and refing uh we had this discussion like several podcasts ago about um your like our favorite rule sets like what's like your favorite rule set we've ref like me and you we've ref a lot of different rule sets like we've ref yeah. you know grapplers quest naga uh, outlaw mud shows on the border of you know <laughs> quebec and ontario um yeah. Ontario opens IBJJF tournaments like you name it like what's like a rule set that you like to to ref that's you know clear and concise and or a, that's good to compete in and then also like what are some rule changes that like you would like to see personally to kind of make things you know better overall long term for the sport um Wow, that's uh, that's another. That's another loaded question. question. <laughs> and if you want to get like- loaded, hold on, this is a time for an ad break. And if you want to get it. loaded, you want to go to Spirit Leap Waterdown, located at Aaron, sixty-four Hamilton Street. There you are, Waterdown. Waterdown. <laughs> Waterdown. Sorry. <laughs> you, should on, have, you should have a notepad, Mike. So you know where all our places <laughs> yeah. are. Located at. 64 <laughs> Hamilton Street, Waterdown. Thank you. So I would say um, I'm really happy that the IBJJF is going to start allowing heel hooks and nogi at the brown and black level. I think that's um, a big step. Um, it should make a lot of people happy. Um, hopefully it makes 50-50 a lot less boring. Um, and as a referee, it makes it a lot more interesting. As an athlete, yeah, I'm a little worried about people's knees. But honestly, I'm just hopeful that people will respect the tap and tap early and save themselves. And it's not, not UFC. Like, oh, just yeah, bleed exactly. UFC. <laughs> just bleed. I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just really upset that I can't stall in 50-50 anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, there's no stalling there anymore. It's going to be great. It's just too bad. We have COVID and we're never going to see it. So that's a rule change. I'd like to see more clarification on reaping. And like, I think I've talked about this on a previous podcast where it's like, you can reap and there's like five different scenarios that can happen. So there's like five pages in the rule book dedicated just to reaping. It's ridiculous. And I think now that they're allowing heel hugs um, at the brown and black level, then reaping should be on the table too. Like they're equally destructive actions. They should also allow turning on the inside on the ankle locks and maybe not outside toe holds because they're still pretty nasty and they're not like 
easy to mix in with the rest of the stuff. But all that leg twisty stuff, if you're in trouble, tap the end. If you're not a dick when you're fighting, you're not going to blow someone's knee out unless you don't respect the tap. You should be able to mm-hmm. do your techniques with control. And everyone will have more techniques and we'll see a lot less nonsense of just stalling at 50-50 and people just doing Damn. nothing. Um, now, to clarify, though, this is at brown and black belt level, not at white belts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely not. White belts need to be protected from themselves. Um, we were all white belts once and we thought we were awesome and knew everything and knew how to do jujitsu. But looking back, we were idiots and... Uh, protecting a newborn toddler from themselves don't put your finger in there stay this is for me and Aaron's <laughs> stay stay don't roll down the stairs stop reaping your brother basically, basically. <laughs> this is what Aaron has to put up with at home stop outside heel hooking your brother <laughs> stop it bad bad like stop biting stop it let go <laughs> The other thing I would probably like to see is knee bars at purple. I think that would be good as a general rule. They're not that. I think think that's a good step to be honest with you. I think that we're allowing a a more advanced individuals, a little bit more freedom to do different things too. I think knee bars at purple would be really good. Yeah. uh, Keep toe holds at brown black. They're a little crazy, but knee bars, you're just making a leg go straight. Mm Mm-hmm it's like an arm bar you're just it's on the leg you're just making it go straight yeah. Yeah. and legs are I mean, way stronger than arms so like it should be able to be well, you're the physio body guy in the yeah. leg yeah no no i i think the leg's gonna be okay could it ain't for effort you know you're the guy who like does the body stuff you know like <laughs> you know that guy yeah you know i agree though actually back at uh i think five grappling like many years ago I think they had oh, knee yeah. bars legal. I think Grappler's Quest is no, they had knee. I think Grappler's Quest even had them legal at like. I think at Blue Belt even like I've seen. Did I've they have seen, it in Canada? They did. Canada, yeah. There was they a did. Grappler's Quest in Canada. That was the first concussion I got competing. Oh yes. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a very nice segue to our next. Oh topic. yeah. Injuries <laughs> in jujitsu. Uh, we've all had our experiences with injuries in jujitsu. And yeah. if you would like some CBD oil to help with your recovery, you want to go to Spirit Leap Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street. How hard gotta, is this? We got to get our <laughs> shit in. Come on. This is, this is a good setup. But uh, it's good. It's a nice segue. I think they'll like that. So, this was the first, was it the first Rapper's Quest tournament in Canada? I believe I was reffing that. I think so. I think you got it. It might have been the first and only. I think I yeah I think they only did one. I don't think they had a lot. No, there was there was was other ones. No, I think there were other ones. That was the one in uh, Grappler's Quest London, which may have been the most poorly run tournament I think I've ever seen in my entire life. I remember Um, I did one in Mississauga. They had one in Mississauga, but I think that was like 2012 or 2013, something like that. I think there was one. The London one was very interesting. What's that? The London one was very interesting. Let's share some stories. Let's, let's share, yeah, let's, let's share let's your that. perspective. It may be a little blurry based on, um, you know. The brain getting, damage I got? The brain damage that you got. I, you know, you, you put it pretty bluntly, but basically getting the brain smashed into the side of your skull. But um, take me through what you remember about that day uh, and talk <laughs> about, like, concussions, concussion issues that you've had. 
Um, none of which is actually from MMA, surprising. This has mostly been no, jiu-jitsu, none. I believe. All jiu-jitsu. Um, yeah, so that tournament, like, it was the first time Grapplers Quest came to Canada, I'm pretty sure. And, like, they actually had, like, equal prizes for the women in the absolute divisions that as the men, which was awesome and a rare thing. Um, so that was really cool that they did that. Um, I had to like bribe women to compete in the absolute um, so that we could have a prize. I split my prize money with someone so that we could actually have a prize um, and have a division. Uh, don't tell the organizers, it's probably against the rules, but. Um, that was like 10 years ago. I don't even think they remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, 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 wouldn't I was like, I was like, just do the absolute with us so we can get a prize. If I win, <laughs> I will give you half. If you win, think, it's all yours. Because I, I just think wanted it, to compete. I don't think the organizer, I don't think like Brian Simmons is going to come, hey, you, let's be honest, <laughs> he's not <laughs> listening to this. He's not, he's not going to be, hey, you, I want, that, I want that $500 back, you cheater. <laughs> yeah. That was actually the first tournament I got geese from Igor as well for my, because uh, I was sponsored by Red Star then. Ah, yeah, I got my first set of geese from Igor that day. Shout out to Igor, Red Star. I don't think it's really around anymore, but there's still. I don't think they're around anymore. R.I.P. 2009 to 2019. They were great geese, seriously. Um, so, yeah, I was supposed to referee. So, I started the day out refereeing. I refereed about 10 matches, and then it was my division time. And I fought this um, younger girl. She was maybe like 17 or 18 like she was young and she was wild she was just a wild child she was legs <laughs> elbows flying everywhere it was <laughs> the craziest match I have ever been a part of um she kneed me in the head a couple times elbowed me in the head and then there was like Jeez. 30 seconds left and she kneed me in the head and I, my eyebrows split open like right here Ooh. and like split open blood everywhere and I'm like oh that felt awesome and so like the medics came they're like checking me i'm like just just tape it up put me back in they're like evaluating me and they're like okay there's only three seconds left you know you're on top you can finish this match like tape me all up and then they're, after they're like make sure you come back and see us and so i went back and talked to them and they're like oh you probably have a concussion so you probably shouldn't compete and i was like but are you sure? And they're like, well, because of the nature of concussions, we can't say distinctly that you have one and that you can't compete. And I was like, so what you're saying is that I can compete. And they're like, no, you should not compete. And I was just like, in my brilliance at the time, I was like, well, they didn't say I can't. So I kept competing. And we did the Nogi division. Which in and, hindsight um, was probably not a good idea. Terrible idea. This was the beginning of the end, like for me, like legitimately, if I had made better decisions that day, I might still be competing today. Um, but yeah, so I went on to do Nogi and I had to fight the same girl again. And well, I fought someone else first and won by an armbar, I think. Um, it's a bit great, but there's pictures of me armbarring someone. So that's probably how that went down. Um, and then I fought the same girl <laughs> I don't again. how I won, but I won. <laughs> Um, I have way worse stories than this, don't worry. Um, and so, like, we were we were fighting, and she was being crazy again, and she hit me in the head, like, twice. And then she hit me in the head, and I went limp. And I was just like, ugh. And I couldn't move my arms for, like, two seconds. And then I was like, oh, I'm good, I'm back. And then I lost, because, obviously, I was fighting, like, a doofus, because I was terribly concussed <laughs> at this <concussed>. point. <laughs> um, 
And I don't really remember that much left of the day. I know I like awkwardly went up to one of my teammates and like hugged them as if they were like more than a teammate. Um, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause I thought they were my husband. Um, yeah. And um, the most of the day is a very fuzzy. Um, it took me a long time to get over that one. I think that one was about three months till I was like feeling normal and was able to roll again without getting headaches and nausea and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of the end. What is it like to go? I, I don't think I've ever had a concussion. I may have had maybe like an undiagnosed one or two. We had Michael Sheehan on uh, a while ago. He had a concussion. He was talking about, he's had concussion stories for those that um, don't know what a concussion is or don't know what it feels like. Can you describe it to the best of your uh, fuzzy ability? To- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, the trouble with concussions is like everyone is different and everyone experiences concussions different. Like some people, they get those terrible, terrible headaches all the time and they don't go away. Other people, they feel fuzzy. Other people, they get really moody. Um, so there's like a, a huge gambit of potential concussion symptoms. Um, but like obviously really bad headaches that are migraine-ish um, is pretty common for concussions. And I get migraines too. So sometimes it's there was there's been a couple times where I'm like is this a migraine is this a concussion I don't know if I feel kind of the same like it's like the headache is like a pressury headache Mm -hmm. um kind of feels like your brain's too big for your skull and if you move your head it like extra acts weird um for me I had a lot of like more like psychological um symptoms like really ridiculous mood swings and just like super depressed and like stuff like that from them um but that usually comes from like uh multiple concussions or like really really bad ones so some people can just like they'll get like a not quite so bad concussion they'll get knocked out like quick and then they'll, they'll some people they're just like okay like you see mma fighters get knocked out all the time and a lot of them they're like back fighting like six weeks later whereas a lot of the ones that i've had that would have been like a death sentence for me like legitimately i'm the last one I had, it took me almost a year to like be a functional human being again. So everyone's different headaches, usually weird moods is really common. Trouble sleeping, sleeping all the time, um, stuff like that. It's terrible. It sucks getting a concussion. So how many concussions have you had over the course of your kind of like jujitsu judo career? Eight. Oh, wow. Eight. And usually the thing with concussions is you may, you could probably speak this from experience. It's like, once you have one, I think it's, it becomes easier and easier to have another one. So like, for example, like in the NHL, like Sidney Crosby had a really bad concussion and then he was off for a while. I think he might've came back too soon and then got a really, really bad one and almost ended his career. Yeah. And then he was out for for like, sure. There's, there's a a lot of science that shows that once you've got one it's much easier to get the other one some of the ones I got were like stupid shit like we were training I was training at a Drysdale um seminar uh with with someone I didn't know and we were just doing this drill where you're supposed to like do a sequence of like get a takedown and then do the guard pass that we were working on so it was just like easy we weren't like fighting we weren't even like it wasn't supposed to be a high resistance drill so I was like doing like pretty lazy jujitsu because I didn't want to smash the guy like um I think you guys probably know if I really wanted to take someone down in a not competitive environment I could smash them into the floor no problem but I was taking it easy because I didn't know the guy and 
we were supposed to just be doing this drill, right? So I do a lazy takedown and he like spun around elbow first and elbowed me right in the yeah. temple. And that was enough. I was out for six weeks after that. Like it was ridiculous. But some of the other ones were a little more impactful, shall we say. <laughs> okay, so please share. What was, what was the, the worst one? What was like the straw that broke the camel's back? And that would have been the last world that I competed at. Now, what, what was that, 2000, 2018, I want to say? 17, 18, something in that range? I feel like I have a concussion because I don't remember. I think it's got to be 17 because I've gone as a spectator twice now since then, and this year would have been the third year, so that brings us to 2017, I think. Um, so that one, I can tell you that I got to the venue and there was a huge lineup to get in. And I can tell you that the next morning I woke up with a splitting headache and that's all I remember. Mm-hmm. I had to have my teammates tell me what happened. Cause I woke up and I was like, Oh, I got a headache. What the fuck? Did we go out drinking last night? What day is it? And then I was like, Oh fuck, it's Friday. I was supposed to compete on Thursday. And I was like having like a pretty big panic attack. Like what yeah. is happening? And I looked at my gear bag and I've got silver medal there. I was like, okay, I competed. Like, did I get drugged last night? Like, what happened? I mean, um, it's Vegas, what happens friend. in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, pretty much. But then um, my friend Michelle, who was uh, sharing a hotel room with, heard me stirring about and she came in. She's like, hey, uh, how are you feeling? I was like, what the fuck happened? She's like, well, you got thrown on your head. I was like, mm, all right that's that's that then <laughs> and that's that, that's I remember that conversation and I remember bits and pieces of the rest of that like six days stay in Vegas but that's it and the, the next six months are blurry at best mm-hmm. so it was just that's like the sh- just accumulation of all these different concussions and then this yeah. just kind of that was it and yeah. that one was super scary because none of the other ones like the days aren't completely blank like that one and like how long it took me to get over and like the first couple weeks like I was like a zombie like I was just like going through the steps and like just sleeping all the time and having a terrible headache and like the mood swings were ridiculous like I would just like snap at everyone and then I'd be like the most happiest person on the planet and then I would just be like a zombie again it was it was bad I had to take like at first I didn't take very much time off work I only took like a week and then I went back to work and I was like not really doing my job very well and then went to the doctor and they're just like oh you need to take screen time away I'm like well my dad is a programmer so that's gonna be tough um mm-hmm. so then the doctor's like wrote you know to give to my work and like she's not allowed to work for three weeks so I had to spend three weeks just like doing nothing I wasn't allowed to look at screens I wasn't allowed to do anything like vigorous at all and that started me getting better finally was there like any like treatments that you did? Like anything like, like uh, concussion treatments, like oxygen, anything that like helped with it? Or is it just like, Hey, I'm just not going to look at a screen for a while. And it's gonna, my brain's going to fix itself over time. Um, I kind of went that route and I probably should have pursued some other treatments. Um, I got in contact with two different concussion doctors and the, the first one I got in contact with six weeks in and they're like, well, until it's been 12 weeks, we can't really help you because you should just get better on your own. I was like, well, fuck you too then. I'm going to give you my money if you don't want my money now. <laughs> and then um, I eventually got to see a neurologist um, 
in at Mac and they gave me like um some like exercise some brain exercises to do and stuff and their approach was a lot of brain rest and some brain exercises and just like the typical return to play you know like if you're feeling good you can do some stuff but as soon as you start feeling symptoms then you got to take it back a step um so then these days, um, like, are you still training? Like, are you still having like, maybe like some cognitive effects from cumulative concussions? Like, how are you feeling like in 2020 minus COVID and all that? <laughs> minus COVID. <laughs> minus so COVID. in late 2019, I had actually like thought about um, competing at world uh, masters worlds again this year. Um, it was kind of a thing in the back of my head for a long time. Like I didn't, I didn't want to go out like, like I did not even remembering my last competition so I had this big plan to like just pull guard and uh fight really safely you know like because my style is not a very brain safe style in general um but my I had like this plan to pull guard and like just compete one more time just because not remembering the last time you competed shitty um but then I like tweak my knee and then COVID happened and now we're here. So I'll probably stay retired, but um, I had gone back into training pretty. Um... Stay retired with me. Come on, Patricia, stay <laughs> retired. It's just actually... it's so hard going to competitions as someone who's competitive and just like being on the outside of it all. It sucks, but I know it's for my own good. And that's why I've managed to stay on the outside for so long, but it's mm-hmm. hard. It is. I had actually some comeback plans. Um, and then, well, you did that, the super fights, which you refed actually funny I enough. Did. Great segue. I did. That, uh, <laughs> that show Aaron, is that, so much Aaron, fun. Aaron, Aaron, uh, what's that? Sorry. Say that again. Say that again, Patricia. I think you're, you're frozen. Are you, you're trapped Me? in a box. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, no, she, she's not frozen. I thought you were frozen no, for a second. I wasn't. Aaron like moved in like he was gonna say something, so I stopped talking and waited for him to say something. Oh, you're you're a lot more polite than I am. Clearly, we knew that a long time ago, though. (laughs) I was I was told I interrupt Aaron way too much, but sometimes I like to you know I like to interject and you know try to provoke. Keep the conversation on track. Exactly. This is what this is what professionals do, Aaron. You should be taking notes there. Okay, Um, (laughs) but I wanted to ask. Because like, because you and Mike ref together all the time, but I mm. want to know why you're such a better ref than Michael, who obviously <laughs> has no idea what the rules are at the time. Do you know why actually... they, like, keep, they keep allowing him to work with like great professionals like yourself, and they just like they find fanboys like Michael to work? I just don't understand it. I just want to. Well, I just want to state for the record. Although Patricia has had eight concussions, she cognitive, cognitively still is one of the best refs in Ontario, oh, if not the world. Thanks, Mike. Um, Legend, well, Aaron. That's a, a tricky question to answer. Also, for, for the record, correctly. I have I have to write Aaron's jokes for him because he has no personality and he can't zip me. <laughs> oh no, I wrote this one by myself. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, I can show you the text message on here that clearly I wrote <laughs> to uh-huh. you to say. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let's be honest here. Mike is actually a really good ref. He might act all like, oh, I don't give a fuck about anything. But he actually is a pretty damn good ref. Um, He's pretty I'm biased, pretty sure. though. He's pretty biased. He does go against <laughs> other people's teams. I've seen it. <laughs> 
It's biased. So, like, when he's not on the mats, he'll talk shit all day about, oh, you should have given this guy that and this guy that. And he'll <laughs> give, like, bullshit reasons for scoring stuff in favor of his guys. But actually, when he's on the floor actually refing, he's a pretty good ref. I, um, well, I think you understand as well. I think we're all guilty of this is, you know, Patricia, you're, you're coaching your teammates and, you know, obviously, yeah, of course. You, you know, the rules, you, um, you know what, since you have a lot of experience refereeing, you know, what a lot of times what they're looking for, where it's like, okay, it's a really close match. It can go to a decision or like, you know, this could, this happened, that happened. So you're trying to, in your way, try to, you know, maybe, you know, you're, a plaintiff in the courtroom and you're trying to state your case you're trying to of course you're trying to lawyer it of course. that's that's basically what i think myself and literally every single coach in the history Actually, of coaching has tried to if if your coach isn't trying to get you the points that you should be getting then they're not doing their job and as a referee you just have to be able to like process that properly if like you're positive on your call then you tune them out like if you know what you saw you turn them out if a coach is saying something in the background and it's ringing a bell like oh shit yeah maybe that was a sweep you play it back in your head was it a sweep yes no you carry on as a coach i should be using my referee knowledge to help my athletes as best as i can i shouldn't be disrespectful to the referees i shouldn't be causing a scene as a referee and a coach but as a coach you need to use all the tools in your basket to help your athletes win uh, however you can absolutely like you obviously do it in a respectful manner as well don't be like oh hey, yeah the coach ref, 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 ref. Poha, Kyle. what are yeah. you doing <laughs> yeah, so if you get like that the referees are going to ignore you if you can give that information in a way that's not going to get the refs like hackles up or whatever you can help your athlete for sure. So not mentioning any like coaches names or anything like that, but can you, this is a question for both of you. Oh, right? We're going we're gonna like, to need some names. Come on. So like, <laughs> has, I'll have, call them like, out. I don't care. You guys, have you guys had like experiences with like one that's just been like over the top, like rude, belligerent uh, coach, like within the last little bit? Whenever I'm refing, Aaron Gall is such a dick. <laughs> such a dick and he doesn't even know i call everything do. i call everything mike where's the points for side control um there are no points for side control aaron i oh, just try to get have points. no points idea how many times people have yelled that at me like it's outrageous like so many times where's the oh, side control point half where's the points <laughs> half it's crazy uh, and then they're like yelling and they're like uh, especially when I was like just starting out to referee and people didn't really know me yet the nonsense that got yelled at me was insane and even now I like I wasn't was like uh maybe some tournament in Ottawa people there was this coach I don't even remember who it was but he yelled some ridiculously sexist nonsense at me and I can't remember now exactly what he said but it was like totally off the cuff, like Uh-oh. not Uh-oh. appropriate for the room. And I was just like, did you this really just say that? Some Elba Muncho stuff. Stopped the match. What is this? <laughs> no, it was, it was, oh, fuck. 
I wish I could remember what he said. It was something like about like ovaries and like, periods. And I don't even remember. Like it was ridiculous. Like the most yeah. like backhand craziness. And it all started with like he was asking for points for something that wasn't points anymore. Like that hadn't been points. Like, <laughs> and it years. jumps all the way to just. And like... I was like, "That's not points." He was just yelling. I was like, "That's not points." And then he like went off with this ridiculous tirade, and I just like stopped. That's asked. not I points. Like, <laughs> I was like, "Hey, Tony, like this guy is being ridiculous." And Tony like went over and dealt with it. And then eventually, the guy came over and apologized, and like it was fine. But I was just like. That's not okay to say. Like, that's such a bad example for all the, the athletes in the room, for all the younger coaches in the room, like, for all of the female athletes in the room to be hearing people yelling this stuff. <laughs> the kids in the room, the parents in the room. Like, like everyone. It was insane. And, like, that's not the first time stuff like that has happened, and it won't be the last because this is the world we live in. It's better than it used to be, but there's never going to be a place where – people see me as the female referee and see me as the equal to the male referees. Mm-hmm. I've seen it for the last 10 years and I will continue to see it. All I can do is keep being the best referee that I can be. And eventually they'll eventually figure out, Oh yeah, maybe she does have a clue, even though she's got ovaries. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, there's one more. That got sort. political. I'm sorry. I didn't. Got political. No, no, I love it. It. Okay. There is one. Uh, what probably my all-time favorite uh, refereeing story of Patricia's. I believe oh, it was a grappling industries many moons ago. Um, you had to disqualify somebody. I, I think you've been, you're repping for a while, but you're still like fairly green. I think I was repping. I was fairly green. Green basically meaning like you're still fairly new. Like you're, you know, you're trying yeah, to, yeah. you know, trying to get better at your job. Um, do you recall the story or I have to jog your memory a little bit more? Oh, I need more. I need more to remember I'm, it. I'm I'm you... A lot of people. Oh, I know where we're going with this. <laughs> 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 to the face. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you're, you're going to have to share, share the story before we uh, finish up tonight. Oh, shit. I don't even. How did that all start? I don't even remember, but I was wrapping this match and this athlete <coughs> got a little out of hand. And then he didn't answer, like, didn't, like, follow my instructions. And, oh, shit, what was the final straw? I think what, I think what happened is there was he a match. He might have swore at me. I think, I think I, this is what happened. I think this might have been what happened. So there are two people competing. I think one person was in a submission. I think he had him in a triangle, but he kind of, like, picked him up and postured him. And then he placed him oh, down. Oh, that was a slam. Probably right. a little bit harder than he probably should have. So it was probably it a was a slam. I still yeah. stand by that. I, remember I still that. stand by that. I still stand by that to this day. I've had eight concussions, but I remember that. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so then what happened? It's think only what the happened, details around the concussions that are fuzzy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. after that, I think that person got a little mouthy. So yeah, usually, that's right. That's right. So I was, I had stopped it. Cause I wasn't, I was like, Mm, that was a little slammy and as soon as I said Paro he lost his shit and like started swearing at me so I was just like all right get up and I I asked him to the face that that is the thing that happened (laughs) (laughs) so in case people don't know like when you disqualify someone you're supposed to like point at the belt with your hand and then put the x in front and I was just like 
Mm, right and it's so, so bad it was so unprofessional but I was just so mad because like he he said some not nice things and I was like listen like I was still thinking about it but now you're DQ'd for your behavior maybe not for the slam and it's like even bad. if the slam was somewhat questionable at that point it's like you can't go like oh this is effing no. bs this is it's no. like, once you do once you cross that line it's the same thing with like coaching it's like you've lost zero credibility it's over yeah exactly i had a similar thing happen where i had these two they were like heavyweight guys and they were just like being a little crazy and um they went out of bounds so i stopped i was like paro get in the middle guys i was like guys stay on the side and the other guy was like this fucking guy and i was just like excuse me he's like no no sorry 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 and then um they time was almost up and they went out of bounds again and I was like paro and then he's like fucking bitch and I'm like what did you just say he's like oh I wasn't talking to you I was like really you were calling uh the your male opponent a fucking bitch not the female referee and I was just like buddy you're disqualified because Bye. even if he wasn't even if he was not talking to me you can't say stuff like that and because it was a disciplinary DQ, he wasn't supposed to be able to compete anymore. Um, but the tournament organizers overruled that rule because his opponent begged him to be able to do the absolute. And I was so mad about that. I was so salty. Yeah. And that was Grappling Industries or that was because they were allowing that or? I will not name names. Oh, not naming, not naming. So, so it was then. Okay, just check. I've had organizers in multiple tournaments not follow the rules based on calls that I've made in multiple different tournaments. Sets. At least, at least they had medics, though. But yes, hmm? I, but I said at least they have, at least they have medics, though. But I digress. Usually. Usually, most tournaments heard, have been ten, been to have I, had medics. It's kind of an essential thing, you know, in case somebody gets hurt, somebody gets a concussion, would, somebody dislocates yeah. their knee, such as myself. Like, I would like never ever referee a tournament without medics. Never. Let's I've heard there's been a couple, a couple of ones without medics in in the building, and they've been shipped firestorms. Yeah, like it's just it's a crazy idea to even think about, like you need to have like trained like emergency people, not just like average joe like hi, not hi my name is michael i'm here to put you in a sling <laughs> well, like, no, you, you need trained medical professional like if yeah, me and aaron show up like... and we're your medics yeah, just yeah, picture, picture, picture this picture this patricia you get a concussion you're in vegas me and aaron show up to help you <laughs> to be honest you i don't know back from vegas let's just put it that way <laughs> it's amazing i did because i don't remember what the medics did for me but they let me go home which they shouldn't have given the state I was in the next day and like the fact that I don't remember anything and the fact that I was on the mats unconscious for some time like I should have gone to the hospital and either I managed to fake it bad enough like good enough that I was fine or like those medics did a real bad job either way they should have seen based on what happened that I should not have been allowed to go back to my hotel but I don't know what happened, so I can't say. Maybe I was an amazing actress. Who knows? I always yeah. wanted to be an actor, it... so maybe. <laughs> was that a gold medal match? Hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was the final. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But I don't. It was very short, apparently. I watched the video once a little while, like maybe a year ago. I watched. I found the the video of it, and like at first, I had thought like I'd been. It was described to me. Um, before that was like some kind of like overhand throw where like she just the way she held my head like we just both collided and, and my like, head hit the floor first with like all of all our combined weight and this was mm-hmm. super heavy weight so that was a lot of combined weight all went into my head um on the Ouch. ground but it was actually um uh like a collar drag that somehow oh. both my hands were trapped oh i don't know oh. like I didn't oh, see you a went, good video of it. You went face you went first in, into the ground. Face first. My Boom. face hit the mat first, and I was limp, and then the video cuts out. So I don't know how long I was there for. I haven't really pursued it very much because it's kind of a touchy subject. But, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a scary throw, too, especially if your hands yeah, are I, caught. And it's like it's, – It's no good. Like, and it was so fast. Um, and, like, for a long time, I was just like, Cause I didn't like, this is like new, like fairly recent information to me, like in the last year. And I had like this aversion to collar drags. And I think it was like some kind of like sub subconscious, like flashbacks were happening. Yeah, you're like, I wasn't even seeing that. I was like, Oh, PTSD, well that's probably why like, I going, hate this. Going yeah, back to yeah. Nam. Like, <laughs> somebody, somebody cross collar grabs you. You're just like, get away from me. <laughs> yeah, I went anytime I see someone doing that throw, like it's such it can be a very powerful throw, but it's really most people do it with the intent of making their opponent smash their face into the floor. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. good jujitsu. Versus the way I personally try to do it, and I'm not a judo black belt, but I try to drag and then scoop a single leg at the same time. So like oh, yeah. move them out of the way. And then, single leg. Yeah. For sure. That'd be awesome. Not trying to bounce someone's face off the mat like a basketball. But, but so many people, they just do it in that way. They just drop straight down and like yank that collar straight down. And all yeah. you can do is face play. You can't even roll out of it, which is how the throw is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. In it's purest sense. So now as like a former competitor seeing those things, again, as a rep, you're going to be like right in there every single time like how does that make you feel like you, you cringe every time you see stuff or is it kind of like yeah. you know what you're kind of used to it now um you know like I think given my concussion history I'm I am more aware of potential concussions and matches and I have stopped fights um lots of times where I've seen kids heads bounce off the floor or whatever even in the younger adults and I'm just like I saw your head hit the floor. I saw you bounce. I'm going to call the medics. They're going to check you out. And people are like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And like probably nine times out of the 10, the medics come by and they're like, they check him out and it's fine. But there's been a couple of times where the medics have been like, yeah, he's done. He can't fight anymore. So I think even though I've had such a shitty experience with concussions, I think it's given me like an insight as a referee Mm -hmm. that I can help these athletes not get hurt worse. So I try to like find that balance of like not being like so paranoid, also being aware and like keeping the athlete safe you know i think it's the most important thing especially for kids that are young and they're just doing this for fun and they're not yeah, yeah. trying to be like some crazy like 17 time world champion or open a school or anything they just want to you know go compete yeah. and have fun keep yeah. them protected um last question i want to ask you this evening so 2020 it hasn't was. really been hasn't really been the best year but uh oh, what sure. what's next for you 2021 and beyond do you want to come out of retirement again with me? Potentially <laughs> Masters Worlds 2021. 
if my Honestly, knee doesn't explode again. What's that? I think really what coming out of retirement probably is going to look like for me is maybe like some kind of like super fight show or something. I don't think a tournament um, type scenario is really in the cards for me anymore. Just because I'm, I'm coaching so much now, um, like I'm helping out a lot at Fifth Dimension, my gym. Um, and I've really like fallen into that coaching and refereeing role. Um, and I do enjoy it. And I don't think I have the time with work and stuff to like properly train for like a world masters type situation um, and to travel and stuff and then to risk getting a concussion while I'm abroad and stuff. I think at like a, like a submission X, sub X, Canadian submission expo, whatever Tony calls this show type situation would be a nice like controlled environment that we could like have a safe, a safe opponent, like someone that's like, a known factor you know so like the fight i'm not saying we were going to fix a fight this sounds really like i'm sorry to i'm not doing a good job describing okay? but like you know like fighting someone that i've fought before somebody you respect yeah and someone that like is aware of my history and is they're going to try to win and i'm going to try to win but someone who's not going to do some like bullshit nonsense and knee me in the head or whatever you know yeah not um, trying to beat the fuck out something of you like that for maybe whatever as reason. a you resorts to you win. You're yeah, so sensitive. I, think... <laughs> I would do, love to do, see you do worlds again, Briars. Uh, that that was a possibility this year, and then you know yeah. a massive wave of herpes hit the world, and here we are. <laughs> but we're getting a vaccine soon. There's hope for us. There is hope. Um, There's hope. hope hopefully i it's it's looking promising so yeah hopefully like I, I, I think effective or something yeah i i don't know i have my own opinions on it i think it's going to be something that's going to be around for a long time i'm talking about covid yeah. it's going to be around it's going to be something that you know i don't think it's going to disappear anytime soon it's just going to be like hey not we gotta... disappear no what's that not disappear no but hopefully we can manage it if enough people get vaccines and they get some rapid testing stuff going on then hopefully yeah. we can travel again soon Hopefully, because I need to go to Australia again because I miss it a lot. I'm gonna go uh, <laughs> right off into the sun, sunset in a kangaroo patch. Oh <laughs> yeah! Oh yeah! Australia is my second home. I love it there so much, and the the women's jujitsu scene there is amazing. Yeah, they got a lot of competitors. They have a good culture out there. I think it's a yeah. it's a beautiful spot. Yep, it's so good. Down there, right. have a fa- have a foster <laughs> official <laughs> beer of, Aus- of Australia. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think somebody actually told me that it's like because I was telling him like, oh, do you like you know? It's like Foster, like Australia. They're like, no, that's like terrible. That's garbage. Why are you? Why are you gonna? They don't drink that there. Yeah, that's just the, that's North American bullshit. They they don't drink yeah. that at all. No. no, it's not even made there. I don't think anymore. I think it was at one point, but I think it's just like made with like. Bud and Labatt and all those other generic beers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I think we'll leave it there. Patricia, I want to thank you very much for coming to the podcast. We will never offer you a Foster's beer. We will always give you something a little bit more classy than a Foster's. <laughs> but, <Foster>. um, <laughs> but we definitely hope that eventually throughout COVID when it's over or there's manageable, we'll be able to hang out go roll 
We can talk about how Shane Definitely. Mike was a referee, and then we can kind of build off that. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. I had fun. Yeah, absolutely.